uh, I was talking to some people at work today about um, we're talking about like fandoms and how I'm not a Star Wars fan in particular. Mm-hmm. Like I like Star Wars, it's fine, but I'm I'm not like a fan. Yeah. And a lot of people my age who are kind of in that camp, I think, it's not as powerful as it was to the people who like went to Star Wars in 76. Um, although right. there are still people who love it, who are my age that love it that much. But I'm not talking about like Harry Potter is kind of that fandom for our generation. Right. Except for those that haven't read it yet. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Is that the fourth one? No, that's, that's the, the sixth one. That's six. <laughs> We got to stop for a minute to talk about the sixth Harry Potter book. I uh, I thought this one was good, right? It was the, I think it was the previous one that I like kind of yeah the last like. yeah, Order of the Phoenix you were less impressed by yeah Order of the Phoenix I didn't like that much. Um, this one was pretty good. I finished it like a week ago, so I'm like even now like struggling to remember what happened in it. Um, the plot's a little light in this one. Yeah, like I feel like there wasn't tons happening throughout, but they um. Something pretty important happened. Oh, oh yeah, the big giant thing is—is is this spoiler safe? Like I, I knew about it before. You knew about it? it? Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you like can't really escape. I guess. Like I, so I knew and forgot about it. Mm. Um, so when I read it happen, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I remember that I've heard this before, but I wasn't like waiting for it to happen That's as fair. I read the end of the book. Um, should we say? I mean, I I'll say Snape. Snape kills Dumbledore. Snape kills Dumbledore. Um, big deal. It's a real big deal. Yeah, and I really like. So I really liked. Um, I really liked the end section of the book from when Harry and Dumbledore go to the cave to get the Horcrux. Yeah, to coming back, Snape killing Dumbledore. The like, like the last portion of the book is real yeah. strong. Harry chasing them out, and then the denouement while he's dealing with the shock and mm-hmm. the grief and the all the little things that happen yeah. at the end with people recovering and stuff like the the way i remember feeling so inside harry's head mm-hmm. and inside his mindset yeah and feelings like through that whole section um which i really liked uh like the introduction of like the horcruxes and what they mm-hmm. mean and now there's a explanation for Voldemort even more and yeah. kind of a foundation for how to destroy him in the next book mm-hmm. and yeah it's good cool this was a good one yeah I hear Deathly Hallows is also very good and it's also the end if you like camping it's real strong I do like camping is there a lot of camping there's a lot of camping nice uh, so you're talking about like Harry Potter is like the fandom of our generation yes and I was talking to people and I'm I am I'm not old. I'm not putting that out there. I, I like I make jokes occasionally, but I am one of the oldest people that are, is on my team. Like I, mm. I might be older than everyone on my team, okay. including my boss, which I get a little concerned by sometimes. But mm. um, it's it's a startup world, man. That's weird. It is like thirty is old for a startup. I'm still younger than all my managers. Yeah, I'm. I don't know how old my manager is, but. <laughs> Like he, like he's probably older than me, but it's close. Yeah, yeah, like close enough that like maybe not. Yeah, and uh, I, I also still have trouble like getting over the like school age thing of like if you're older you're better or smarter or more worthwhile, which is not true. Like that's not an inherent thing. 
Um, but like, that's always like, Oh, you know, you're only a year older than me, but you have so much more power than me. That's a weird, like that's yeah. interesting dynamics. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're talking about Harry Potter and like everyone I was talking with at breakfast was like, Oh yeah, I love Harry Potter. I'm so excited about it. And like, I asked what to me is like the default question you ask someone when you're excited about Harry Potter, which house are you? Yes. And they were all like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> And I was like, like not not to like question their fandom because how you love a thing is absolutely how you love a thing. But it was so surprising to me that like, because they clearly were not integrated with the Harry Potter fandom culture. They liked Harry Potter. Mm, yes. They, they really enjoyed it, but they had never, like when Snape killed Dumbledore, I was on the internet with everybody else days afterwards, like talking about like fan theories of what could have happened and what does this really mean? Is Dumbledore really dead? Is it a ruse? Was it just to, you know, get him out of his curse? What was mm-hmm. going on? Like, there was a phoenix at his funeral. Is the phoenix Dumbledore? Is he still alive? Like, all of this sort of, like, fandom community that happened went with the books. Yeah. That is very much of, like, my age group. Like, those of us that grew up with Harry Potter. And all these people are five to ten years younger than me mm. um and so they're just outside of that range potentially i mean my sister is five is four years younger than me and she's in that range it's like she yeah. she had the same feelings yeah um so it was very weird to me that i could say like what house are you in and the and the question <laughs> just bounces off that's strange like even if you've not gone to pottermore.com and taken the test and been officially sorted which of course i have yeah. Like, you have, like, a gut feeling of, like, what house you're probably in. Right. Like, if you've read the book, like, it's unavoidable to consider the question Yeah, if you've read the books. Yeah. Um, and even, like, someone like me who did not read them at, like, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. like, that question has been asked of me dozens of times. Yeah. Like, that's just a question people ask people. Yeah, if you talk about Harry Potter, that's... That's the what's your sign of Harry Potter. Yeah. That's more, oh, we should get Vanessa in here. That's more that's more popular than what's your sign. Absolutely. Amongst my age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know people with tattoos of their sign yeah, of yeah, their house. Yeah. Like on their bodies. Um, that That is really strange. That's yeah. super weird that like you can be like be a fan of a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I totally agree. Like doing the like fan like fanhood questioning. Yeah. Is. Uh, Judging, like, yeah. Stu- yeah, like the, there's no, it's not worthwhile at all. But like to be removed from mm-hmm. the popular fandom enough that like, like you haven't even considered yeah. that question. And like the the Snape and Dumbledore thing, like yeah, the, like I was on the internet when Harry Potter was coming out, and like I knew like talking about whether or not Snape is good or bad, yeah, like, that's a thing people wrote and talked a lot mm-hmm. about and tried to figure out, yeah. And then like when Snape kills Dumbledore, it's the is this confirmation that he's bad or is there something even weirder? Yeah, what going? is going on? Yeah. Like, cause they're, I mean, they're just, Snape definitely has his adherence. And I think in this book and then more so even in the next book, you see a lot of the depth of Snape mm-hmm. and really what is going on with all of him. And yeah. that's intense. Yeah. Like I've liked Snape. Yeah. And not completely, but like there's things I've liked about mm-hmm. him in the, in the six books so far, mm-hmm. but he's a mm-hmm. complex, robust character. I don't, 
like him as much anymore. Seems pretty bad. Uh, he definitely killed Dumbledore. He did, like, unless there was a hallucination going on, like, he for sure killed Dumbledore. Yeah. And maybe there's a hopefully not gross, twisty, like, backtracking explanation for why it wasn't actually a bad thing. But, but like, Snake is, is incredibly complex. And yeah. that's fascinating. That's why we like talking about him. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it was definitely weird. Like, I, I was like... Oh, I, 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 they were like, oh, what house are you in? I was like, what do you think? Because I, I do think my house matches me very well. Mm-hmm. You know what house I'm in? Have you, I told you? Uh, I would guess Hufflepuff. No. Oh. That's what somebody else guessed. Ravenclaw. Okay. That's, that would be my second yeah. one. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. You're the second person today who's, who's guessed Hufflepuff. Yeah. But I was like, oh, what do you think? House, what house do you think I'm in? And like, I'm like, I'm in Ravenclaw. And they're like, how do you know? And I'm like, there's a test. <laughs> there's a test. And also like you can like you've no yeah. yeah i mean like you know nothing is like black and white but yeah. like you can feel which one mm-hmm. you lean in mostly yeah. like i i well we should put it out there personality tests are not real sure like that's important to cover this is pop psychology for fun because a book series tells us about it yeah. but and it and it's about like what kind of person you want to identify as yeah being. like what qualities do you want to yeah. and like to display and inherit it's nice stuff. that you think of me as a hufflepuff though that is yeah, hufflepuffs thing. are like nice and friendly yeah and they're super loyal it's a yeah. big deal yeah i'm definitely uh, a ravenclaw, like though. ravenclaw fits too yeah uh i test as ravenclaw and i like if i was gonna pick one for myself like i would probably pick ravenclaw yeah. too did you take the test uh uh-huh. oh cool um the like the four house thing is a little weak to me sure uh, because as much as it tries to be like, there's four houses, like there's two, houses. there's two houses and two other houses and one is good. And one is bad. Yeah. Like, like I know some people are like Slytherin and for all the good reasons, mm-hmm. but like in the way the stories are written, like Slytherin is bad. Yeah. Like they're all bad. It's evil. Yeah. And, and Gryffindor is all that and all that. Well, what a, a Slytherin would tell you is that's because the book is from a Gryffindor perspective. And they're so full of themselves that they can only see the world in a binary black and white good versus evil mindset. And they, of course, put themselves in the good role. So anyone who disagrees with them is inherently evil. Yeah, but I mean, like, the Slytherins are the ones doing the bad things. Yeah, that's what a Gryffindor would say. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's what a Ravenclaw would say. Because I'm Ravenclaw. Yeah, well, you, you, you might be on the edge there, on the cusp. <laughs> cusp of a house. You're on the on the threshold. I don't like... I just made that up. That's great. I'm happy. I don't like Gryffindor, and I don't want to identify as that because yeah. I think they're all obnoxious. Yeah. They're all they're all self-righteous. Yeah. Extremely. Way more than Slytherin. Slytherin's just right. <laughs> um, Like, especially in the, the end of this book, in mm-hmm. the end of book six, like... Harry's Gryffindor is like on display very strongly. Oh yeah. His like complete like self-sacrifice and reliance and like, he's just going to do everything himself and throw himself full bodied at every problem. It's yeah. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like take it, like just chill out a little. Yeah. Let's read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hermione. (laughs) That was my, my Ravenclaw. Yeah. My fun Ravenclaw fact is, uh, you know, so you know, every house has an animal. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, Gryffindor is the lion uh, because they're full of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slytherin is the snake. Because they're evil. Yeah. 
uh, Raven or not Ravenclaw. Uh, Hufflepuff is the badger because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and Ravenclaw, I was always like, oh, it should be. It, it's an eagle. I don't know why it's an eagle. That's. Oh, I didn't even realize that it's an eagle. Yeah. Is is there a reason it's not? <laughs> Do you know what I'm gonna say? Yeah. A raven. It's an eagle. Hmm. I mean, close. <laughs> right? Like, it's the right class of animal. Yeah. I bet someone could see it and just mistake it for a raven yeah. from a distance. You know what's interesting about Ravenclaw as well? Is there is a discrepancy in the house colors between the movie and the books. Really? Yeah. I don't. I couldn't tell you what their colors are. Yeah. Because they're barely mentioned in the books. <laughs> so, uh, in the books, it is blue and bronze. Okay. In the movie, it's blue and silver. Hmm. Is there a good reason for that? No. Probably a set designer made a decision at some point. Yeah, I'm sure it just, you know. During the Chris Columbus years when nobody really cared. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, Hufflepuff's black and gold or black and yellow. Uh-huh. Uh, Slytherin is, of course, silver and green. Mm-hmm. And Gryffindor is who cares? <laughs> Um. Yeah, Harry Potter's cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to finish. Reading That's them. good. I'm excited that you are excited about it. That's really fun. Um, but like, I'm really excited to like to finish reading them and like, yeah, read the final book. And I'm also really excited to be done reading them. <laughs> you can read them again. I could. I just got a new Tolkien book that I'm putting off. Until I finish Harry Potter. Uh, Tolkien's dead? Hmm. You'd think. He's very similar um, to our... Uh, Are going to say Tupac? Hyper-powerful ghost friend, Casper. Oh. And that he is dead and uh, his powers are mysterious. Yeah. Did he write a new book after he died? No, his son publishes his works posthumously. Um, the So he wrote... He has a whole... Uh, like old mythology of like the like origins of the universe and all the stories there like the real universe or the middle earth universe same thing his according according (laughs) according to his mythology the like middle earth universe is our universe okay um so the middle earth universe yes um and there's a couple specific stories like it's a it's a big right the Silmarillion mm-hmm. is what this is and it's a big like overview of like thousands of years I'm, of I'm history. familiar with the Silmarillion. Yep. And our listeners might not be. Uh, if they've listened to this podcast, they probably are because <clears throat> we've talked about the map on your wall. Oh yeah, the map. Should we talk about the map? <laughs> um, and there's a couple stories in the Silmarillion that are like bigger and more important than the others. Okay. So one of them is uh, the story of Turin, mm-hmm. and that was, was in the Hobbit movie. Mm-mm. I think he was. Mm-mm. Yeah, he was one of the dwarves. He that was. It was Gimli and Turin, and Dopey, and Doc <laughs> Sleepy. <laughs> no, Turin was not in the Hobbit. I'm trying to think of who you were talking, who you're thinking of. I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm just screwing with you. <laughs> I hate you. Um, in 2009 like nine or something. Yeah. Like that story of Turin was taken out of the Silmarillion 
and it's condensed like its condensed form is in the Silmarillion and it was published as its own novel length one story mm. and its own thing. And so the other major story, which is about Baron and Luthien. Now they were in the Hobbit. Mm-hmm, they were. Okay. Um, they were. One was wasn't one of them a giant bear? That was close to Baron. That was Bjorn. That's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, that's a good fan theory. <laughs> Could Baron be Bjorn? I don't see why not. I literally have no reason to think it couldn't be. <laughs> the, there's something there. There's something there. Do they both turn into bears? No, but Baron has a... The bareness of Bjorn could be mis, could be the characters of the Hobbit mistaking wolfness for bareness, and there is a there are wolf related things with Baron. Baron turns into a wolf. Doesn't turn it's the worst name ever. It doesn't turn into a wolf. It's better than Lupus Remus. <laughs> That's not his name. <laughs> Whatever Remus it is, Lupin. Same thing. Uh, where was I? Bjorn and Baron. Oh, so uh, are they the same as Bjork? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bjork is based on yes. Uh, so the the story of Baron and Luthien was just published as its own like novel length uh, volume. So like I know the story and I've read it in a couple different forms. Yeah, and this is now the like most canonical, complete. most expanded, most complete form of the story. Man, they're really milking that cash cow for all it's worth. Well, they didn't make enough money from the movies. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it was basically flopped. Well, they're refusing to make a theme park. So Are they? <laughs> yeah, Christopher Tolkien will not license. <laughs> like, he won't give any more rights to anyone. So he just hates money. Uh, I think he probably is the kind of person who doesn't care about money. Yeah, he doesn't have to. He's got it all. Exactly. Because he inherited enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he just really, really hates modern things. <laughs> He's really into books. Yeah. And preserving the what he imagines is his father's legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is probably... They might... I think the goal is probably to get... The, the third major story is the... It's called The Fall of Gondolin. They might try to get one more... Is that one in The Hobbit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, yes, it <laughs> is because the swords that they pull out of the cave from the trolls. Yeah, I've seen the sword in the stone. Are from Gondolin, <laughs> and that's why the one that Gandalf gets is called uh, toothpick or- orcrist, and the one that um. What's the head dwarf's name? Bilbo? No. Bjorn? Thorin gets is called... I thought he was in the Cimmerillion. Something else. And those two swords are from Gondolin, made by the elves from Gondolin. And that's why the dwar- the orcs or the goblins are so afraid of them is because they have a storied history of killing lots of orcs already. I thought it was goblins. Well... It's complicated, the relationship between goblins and orcs. They're the same thing? Maybe. In The Hobbit, they're called goblins. Yeah. It's possible that orcs are just big goblins. (laughs) It's also possible that it's 
goblins and orcs are the same thing and it's just tonal differences in the writing mm. but anyway yeah christopher tolkien i think wants to publish the fall of gondolin as its own book but i don't know if he'll do that before he dies <laughs> <laughs> he's like i think he's like 90 years old like wow. he's he's already so buried. his son has to take over i don't know if that will happen though no he's already super old and like way older than tolkien was when tolkien yeah. died so man um i was going somewhere with harry potter yeah you houses uh, um oh there's fandom and star there was Wars apparently and... a hand a harry potter uh trivia contest at like one of the geeks who drink like specifically about harry potter mm-hmm. and one of my coworkers went and she's like yeah they knew all this weird like super obscure stuff and i was like well yeah it's a harry potter trivia contest like I expect the people who are showing up to that are the ones who really know Harry Potter trivia. Right. Like, they knew the breed of, like, Hagrid's dog. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I, I'm not surprised that they know that. I don't. Of, it's the kind of thing they should know. I know Hagrid has a big dog. Is, yeah. is the breed very large? I think so. Yeah. I know the breed of his dragon, because he had a dragon. Mm, he did have a dragon. It was also large. It was. Not when it started. Hagrid is also large. He is. Hmm. I'm, I'm sensing sen- a trend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Hagrid's dragon was a Norwegian Ridgeback. Those words sound familiar, so probably. Yeah. Although that might have been one of the dragons from Gobble the Fire. That's where mm. my confusion comes from. Um, I'll tell you one of the things I've noticed about J.K. Rowling. Yeah? Is it rolling or rowling? I believe it's rolling like bowling. Bowling. Rolling like bowling. I say rowling most of the time, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it's rolling. Okay. JK bowling um sometimes yeah. reading Harry Potter feels like I'm reading a lot of words written by someone who just wants an excuse to come up with fun names for stuff. She definitely likes fun names for stuff. Uh because she takes every opportunity to just like list the names of a series of things yeah and every name is like a fun goofy name that's a lot of good names came up with right like every time the students start a new year all the books lists the title of every single one of the books and they're all like fun and silly yeah um whenever anyone's in diagon alley like there's there's, new stuff (laughs) there's it's either like the names of the shops or the names of the products being sold in the shops yeah um all of uh yeah, it's just a lot of really weird, silly names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say J.K. Rowling's other work of series fiction um, has that to a lesser extent, but definitely still has that. Really? Yeah. Because uh, I don't know if you know this. Did you know You know she has been writing a series of mystery novels? No. Under a fake name? But everyone knows it's her, the most famous author in the world. Yeah. Cool. But they're uh, written under the name Robert Galbraith. Why? Uh, that's a really good question and I don't have a strong answer for it, but, um, I, I think part of it was the same reason that Stephen King wrote under a fake name for a while. Um, it was to, to see if they could to get less built in. Yeah. Like inherent awareness. awareness yeah. Um, cause Stephen King wrote six or seven books under the name Richard Bachman. 
And people didn't know it was Stephen King. And they were not bestsellers until they found out it was Stephen King. Yeah. Um, same thing with the Robert Gelberth books. Like, I didn't know about them until it came out that J.K. Rowling was the author. Yeah. And that's why I read them. Um, and there's three of them, and they're good. Like, I enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I suspect I would enjoy them if they, even if they weren't by J.K. Rowling. But you would never have found them if they yeah. weren't. Yeah. Uh, which is tough. Like... But she's still writing them. She's got. She's gonna do at least three or four more. She said. Oh, that's cool. Are they like all the same universe, or is it as Harry Potter? Yeah, they're all magic. Mm. No. Um. Yeah. No. They they all follow uh the same de- uh, private detective Cormoran Strike. Strike, Strike Cormoran Strike. <laughs> He's got a goofy name, like everybody. Yeah, um, like th- that's one of the. Unfortunately, it's one of the weaknesses of Harry Potter mm-hmm. for me is the the goofy names, the, the goofy names and the in the goofy everything else. Yeah. Like there's a lot of just like silliness to the tone that feels not like there's silliness happening in the universe, but that like rolling just likes mm-hmm. silliness. There is much less silliness in the Cormoran Strike novels. Yeah, I'm sure. They're actually a little grotesque. Mm. I mean, Harry Potter is like for children yeah like like Cormoran Strike has not in the same style but the same level of grotesqueness of like Hannibal mm. like there are um, the first one not so much but the second and third there's definitely like ugh. yeah yeah mm. Hannibal gets very grotesque it does Hannibal is probably still more grotesque yeah <laughs> but Hannibal is stylized about it, whereas I don't think the Cormoran Strike novels are as stylized about it, so yeah. I don't think it can go quite so far. Yeah. So I was just thinking about Hannibal because you said Shrike instead of Strike. Yeah. So the Mississippi Shrike mm-hmm. or the yeah something like that. Well, the Shrike is also a character or a plot presence. It's complicated. <laughs> um, in a sci-fi novel called Hyperion, which is really good. What what's that name? That's like a Greek god, I think. I don't Hyperion? know. I know it's a sci-fi novel. Nice. Is it about some Greek god? No. It's akin to the Canterbury Tales. Okay. In that it is it about a group of characters going on a journey? who each take turns telling their story about why they're on this journey. Mm -hmm. And they're going on a journey to encounter the Shrike, which is very undefined within the text of the novel. But in my mind is a giant spiky tree that kills people. Cool. Okay. And this group of seven people are going to the Shrike to try and get a wish granted because apparently it will grant wishes sometimes. And but most of the time it just kills everyone. Oh, it's Labor Day. Yeah. Do you have Labor Day plans? Uh, I don't have Labor Day plans. I have Sunday Labor Day plans. Uh, I'm going to play Twilight Imperium. Really? Yeah. That's not like super long uh-huh. game? I'm super excited. Well, so I'm more excited... Uh, so I love the game. Like, I think I've established that on this podcast. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing game. Uh, it just takes 8 to 12 hours to play. <laughs> Sometimes you need that. Yeah. Uh, and so you got to plan ahead. And you're like, hey, it's Labor Day weekend. We can play all day and not have to go to work tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. And 
So uh, I've always shortened when I've talked about Twilight Imperium because it's a long enough name. It's technically called Twilight Imperium Third Edition. Okay. Because it is the third edition of this board game. Like they've made two before that, like going back to the 70s, maybe the 80s. Like a long time this this game has been around. Uh, and two weekends ago was a convention called Gen Con, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest ga- conventions in board gaming. It's huge. And it is... It was announced right before Gen Con by the publishers of Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition that they were releasing Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Wow. Uh, And so the Twilight Imperium fandom went like nutsoid. We're like, ooh. Biggest news in years. It's uh, been 10 years since the last edition came out. So that's pretty big. And they're like, you know, it's going to be released in early Q4 2017. Uh, It depends on when the boats get here. And that is still true. That's, you know, if you pre-order it, you're going to get it in October or November. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Gen Con, they had a few hundred copies to sell. Oh, man. And so people have been buying them. Yeah. Um, and like posting like unboxing videos and talking about what's different. Uh, Fantasy Flight, the publishers put the rules online so you can like read through them, which I have. Of course. <laughs> And uh, I'm not going to buy fourth edition. Like I'm very excited about it. I think it's really cool. I'm not going to buy it. Why? Uh, I don't need to. Like Twilight Imperium third edition is still an amazing game. Uh, I paid a hundred bucks for it plus two expansions. Uh, the two expansions are out of print and have been for like a year and go for a couple hundred bucks each on eBay. Wow. Um, but I have them all. And I'm like I'm not I'm not screwing with that. Uh, and the new game doesn't actually change a whole lot. It changes some really interesting things. Um, and, and make some significant minor tweaks like that will change the flow of the game and the way it feels mm-hmm. while still feeling like Twilight Imperium. Uh, but the base game is 150 bucks out of the box, which oh, is wow. which is not like it's it's a lot. It's not a lot for a board game. There are board games out there that cost four hundred dollars now. I don't own any of those, but they exist. 150 bucks is still a decent amount of money. Yeah. Um, and really, like, I play Twilight Imperium two times a year, maybe. Uh, and so there's not enough different about TI4 that I'm like, I have to buy it. Uh, now, that being said, one of my, the guys I play with is like, well, I'll buy it. I'm like, great, that's perfect. Because then you have it if we want to play it. Yeah. And if we want to play my version, we can play my version. That's perfect. But what we're doing now is... So on Sunday, we don't have the fourth edition because we don't have anyone that went to Gen Con. You know, if the guy pre-ordered it, but it's still not October, November. So we're going to play a modified version of TI3 using as much of the rule set of TI4 as we can. Hmm. Uh, and the significant changes. I could describe them to you, but I feel like I've already bored you with the level of detail we've talked about. <laughs> like, I won't understand. Well, I could teach you. I could, <laughs> I could teach you and get you to understand, but we don't have the time. <laughs> uh, so we're going to play with, so I, I like sent a request. I sent an order off to the UPS store near me to like print off some things and have them laminated mm-hmm. so that we can have the new markers and, and right. you know, important things, which is very exciting. So you're like, you're, gonna, you're doing this on Sunday, yeah. you said? So, yeah, you're going to, like, 
it's gonna be like a big day for you. You're gonna oh, like absolutely! Wake yeah. up and like get all ready, yeah. and everything's gonna be like set up and laid. Oh, out. I've I've pre prepped all this stuff gonna... like in the box, uh, so that we can get it set up easily. Because setting setting it up can take an hour. Yeah, I believe it. Um, and so like I've pre done as much as I can, so we can just take it out of the box and like start like getting uh-huh. into it. Um, like I've I've preset all the decks of cards, mm-hmm. so like they're all ready to go. I just have to pick up the box and like take them. That's incredible. Which is very exciting. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to get up Sunday morning, meet probably around 10, and play all day. Like snacks or like order pizza Yeah, snacks and pizza and, yeah. you know, maybe something for dinner. But uh, I've only, I've never really done that. Like I've had, I played long games of Risk. Yeah, well that's because Risk is a bad game. I disagree. Like, with the caveat that, like, of course you're right because you know more about games than I do. Uh, like, I've played plenty Risk of long games. Risk being a bad game does not mean you can't have fun playing Risk. Sure. I'm going to put that out there. Um, but, like, six, seven hour games of Risk mm-hmm. I've done. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other thing like that I've done is a, I played a 26 hour game of Axis and Allies. That's intense. Yeah. Over, like, two days? No, nonstop. Oh, wow. Like, we started and then 26 hours later. You finished we decided to you stop. stopped. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely played a game or two of Twilight Imperium that, that stopped because we're just stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there does come a point where depending on how the game is going, you might get to the point where you're like, okay, this person's going to win mm-hmm. and we could spend the next hour like playing that out. Um, but we kind of go like, do you have anything to stop it? Do you have anything to stop it? Can you keep this from happening? Yeah. No. Okay, cool. We'll just call it. Yeah, we we called that game because we were we were at the stage where it was like, yeah, this person's probably going to win. Yeah. And we got more and more sure of that for a couple hours. And then for like two or three hours after that, it started to sway. Mm. And the person who was like pretty for sure was going to lose like was coming back. Yeah. And then once it got to the point of like, okay, this comeback is kind of real and isn't going away anytime soon. And this is about to get a lot more even. <laughs> You're like, this game is, this game was either going to end in like one hour yeah. or now it's not going to end for another 10. Yeah. We're like, let's just call it. <laughs> so it's interesting about Twilight Imperium as a game, unlike Risk and unlike how I think Axis and Allies, but I've never actually played Axis and Allies. Um... There is, so in in the original Twilight Imperium, there is almost a deadline. Like there is a set number of turns that the game is probably going to play. Mm. Um, Just because of the way, because you're not playing to destroy all of your enemies. You're not, you're, you're playing to win, win 10 victory points. And you do that by accomplishing certain objectives. And Mm -hmm. those objectives are different every game and you play them out from a deck and you can try and meet them in different ways. But that is your goal, is to win those 10 victory points. And so as long as everybody is actively working towards getting those victory points, there is a clear delineated deadline mm. of you are going to win. Right. Um, and it's possible that each game round, so each round is a time everybody has a turn, kind of. <laughs> it's more complicated than that. <laughs> Really? Twilight Imperium? Yeah. It's more complicated? It's more complicated than that. Um, but each game round, it is likely that someone will get a victory point every round. Okay. 
almost and in the in the vanilla version of the game, if you're not playing with the expansions, that is almost guaranteed. Um, it is a des- part of the design of the game that everyone gets actually two victory points in the basic version of the game. Mm. Um, with the expansions and with the the versions of the modules that I like to play with, because it's actually a very modular game, you can try it with this, without that, with that, with this. Oh, cool. Um, and there's a lot of discussion like which ones are better than others and things like that. But with the modules we like to play, we don't have that like automatic two points every round because it's a little it it takes away too much choice Mm. because basically you have an opportunity at the if you're the first player in a round and that changes each round if you're the first player in the round you can take this card and get two points and nobody else can take it Hmm. um if you don't take it somebody else at the table will take it right and so there's this like built-in incentive the designers have talked about like this was an intentional design people like it or don't like it and that's been a whole other discussion but like uh, it was designed that if you were first player you took this card and if you were second player you took the card that lets you be first player next round hmm. and so it sort of rotated around this table that everyone was getting even there are other ways to get points as well but there's always this at least this sort of ratchet over time of getting close to a dedicated end point hmm. so i I could not see a game of Twilight Imperium taking 26 hours. That would almost be impossible to take that long. Right. Like, it's a long game. Yeah. It can't, like, it has a... A A deadline, almost, yeah. Yeah, like a limit. Yeah. Not a hard limit, but... But there's a strong limit. Yeah. Yeah. Unless everyone is playing stupidly. Mm -hmm. If you're not playing the game, you could take forever, I guess. But that's true of any game, as we discovered in football. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was one really easy way to keep football games from lasting thousands of years, and it was just to keep the clock part of the game. Yeah. It's it, like, in, especially in Risk, like, Access Knowledge is more complicated, but in Risk, like, you do slowly, like, take over, and people, like, mm-hmm. win and lose, but, like, it, there's nothing in the mechanics preventing it from just fluctuating. Yeah, back and forth, back, back and, and forth, forth forever. Back and forth. Um, it's the only thing there is just like dumb probability yeah that like eventually one person becomes more likely and so they'll probably they will probably win but like you can get a series of rolls yeah that gives you a crazy comeback and And that's and that's arguably one of the like neat things about risk like if if that's one of the things that i would describe about risk it's that you can have those real swingy comebacks some people hate that in their games which i understand but they certainly could do that if they wanted to. Like the, you, you can have that comeback. Yeah. You can have that swinginess. Of, I got two guys against an army of ten. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and like that's those are some of the like great memories I have of those games. Mm-hmm. Is like those underdog victories. Yeah, uh, just just going up against a brick wall and they just won't die. Yeah, um, or or from the opposite side of like. From the dominating side, like yeah. make just like making, you gotta just roll two dice correctly. Making your friends beg <laughs> <laughs> for mercy, <laughs> and like being in such a dominating, like overpowered position. Um, speaking, yeah. speaking of long, complicated games, mm-hmm. uh, I've I somehow never once played this game until last weekend. I played Candyland for the first time. 
Why? Because uh, there was a gathering of work people at some at Andy's house. Yeah, and someone thought it would be fun to bring Candyland as like a small set of games that they brought with them, and then the night went on for a very long time, mm-hmm. and there was alcohol and other intoxicants. Yeah, and. Someone was like, let's play Candyland. And so, like, at 1.30, we all decided to play Candyland. And I didn't realize that literally nothing happens in Candyland. Uh-huh. It's not a game. No. At all. No. Candyland is a tool for teaching color matching. Like, I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't actually a game. Like, I thought, I always knew Candyland was, like, a dumb, like, kids game. Yeah. I'm not knocking Candyland as, like, an activity for children to do to, like, learn about moving pieces on a track or to, like, learn about color matching. Like, that's an important skill. And, like, it is the step towards, like, hey, if I got a kid who loves Candyland, you know, maybe in a year, we can move to, like, let's make a choice. Let's play a game that has a choice. Right. Um, or heck, let's just go to shoots and ladders where there's a dice. There's still no choice in shoots and ladders. There's yeah. still no control whatsoever. Uh, fun side fact: that's actually intentional on the part of shoots and ladders uh, because the earliest versions of it were actually meditative and used to teach about like good and bad behaviors. <laughs> like if you do this good thing, you'll move towards salvation. If you do bad thing, mm. you'll move towards hell. That's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was shocked at how, like, bad, how nothing it is. Yeah, it's nothing. You flip over a card, you go to the space. Which is, like, which is fine for, like you said, it's fine for it to be that. Yeah. But, like, I feel like Candyland has presented itself in my mind. As a game? As a game you can play? No. And it's not. It's not those things. So, like, we all sat around and we were like, okay, like, I draw a card, then you draw a card, then, like, you go around and you draw cards and you move your pieces. And then we were like, when does the game start? (laughs) And then the person who brought it was like, no, this is how you play. And then I was like, we're not playing anything. (laughs) She brought that and Cards Against Humanity. (laughs) My point exactly. (laughs) My point exactly. Your favorite. Neither one of those are games. Your favorite recurring nemesis. Neither one of those are games. And I've only actually played Mm -hmm. Cards Against Humanity like twice or three times in my life. That's about the number of times you should play Cards Against Humanity. Max. Um, But we played it this, this night and it was then when I realized like... I still don't like completely agree with you that it's like stupid and dumb. Like, okay. I, like I think there's value in like, haha, these words with these words okay. are silly. Yeah, but like the the environment that the game is marketed for, mm-hmm. which is like, hey, you and your pals are hanging out, and mm-hmm. like you're probably like right exactly that environment. Yeah. Like you're casually at a party, you just want to like chill out together and like mm-hmm. you goof, want an activity and goof off. Yeah is the worst environment for that. Yeah. Because when everyone is intoxicated, Uh they can't focus Uh on like, hey, it's my turn. Yeah. Let's read the card. Right? Like the whole thing that makes that game enjoyable is hearing the silliness of the combinations Mm -hmm. and laughing at them. 
That is the 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 mechanism. Yep. And when it like when it works, that's the only way you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And when people are intoxicated and can't do the actions mm-hmm. of the game, it becomes maddening. Like I was losing my mind, like being the person who like wasn't as intoxicated as everybody else, like yeah. trying to be like, let's play this game. Like, Hey, like if we're all going to sit around in this circle and do this, like, can we at least moderately do it? And it didn't, it just didn't work no. very well. You cannot moderately do it. So you played two games that weren't games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went to bed at 3 a.m. I wanted to know how your Eclipse experience was. It was a lot of fun. Did, did you had, do Eclipse stuff? Yeah, of course. Um, so Eclipse was Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sunday morning, I'm like, I'm making an Eclipse box. Like, I got to do that. Because I didn't have the glasses. Because for a long time, I didn't care about the Eclipse. I was like, we're nowhere near totality. Like, it's whatever. And then everybody got more and more excited about it. I'm like, fine, I'll be excited about it. Uh, and so, like... I made an eclipse box because I know how to do that. And mm-hmm. the, the pinhole viewer mm-hmm. and uh, so I made it. And then I was like, Amy, do you want one? Like I'll make one for you. We got boxes. We got boxes all around. Um, and she's like, yeah, sure. And so I made it one for her and we went out on Sunday and like practiced using them. Cause it was bright out mm-hmm. and like, this is see that dot. That's the sun. Yeah. Um, and I love, like, the Eclipse is cool. I absolutely think the Eclipse is cool. And it would have been amazing to be in the path of totality and see it. Sure. And, like, that would have been amazing. Um, but I think the science behind the pinhole viewer <laughs> is just as cool, if not cooler, mm. than the Eclipse itself. Yeah. Like, both are cool, but the fact that I could make a box out of cardboard tape and foil mm-hmm. and the foil is not even necessary it's just helpful yeah and have a thing that is a camera that is creates projections mm-hmm. is so amazing yeah i mean like the eclipse itself is cool but like you don't get to do that yeah like, i have no impact on the eclipse like you can do the cam the yeah the pinhole yeah like the you're involved in it and experiencing that very directly. And it was really cool. And so like, um, it was like 11 to two was yeah. roughly the period that eclipse was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh one ten was when we hit maximum here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like at 11, I went out with my eclipse box, like at work, um, went outside and was like, okay, I'm gonna do the thing. And then other people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing this thing. And I would share it. And I got to talk about like, why it was cool and how to use it. And, yeah. and I mean, I'm an educator. Like I enjoy teaching people about things mm-hmm. as well. So that was fun for me. But then like being able to be excited about the science of this sort of stuff was really cool. Yeah. Um, and say, look, like you put your head here and I'll, I'll help you hold it correctly. Um, so you can see, see that dot, that's the sun. And you can see how there's a little crescent being eaten out of it. That's the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did that, you know, four or five times throughout the, the course of the eclipse. And each time other people were doing it. And I did the thing with the leaves. You, you see the leaves? Yeah, the shadows. Yeah. It does the same thing. Like, that's so awesome. So that's, that, I I don't understand how that one works. Like, I understand the pinhole because, like, you're just letting a tiny amount of light in. But, like, shadows are not, like, shadows are different from light through a pinhole. It's not shadows. It's light through the leaves between the shadows. So you see a crescent of light, 
Because otherwise it would be round. But I don't... It's not a perfect crescent, but basically they overlap in such a way as to make very small holes. That's why you don't get perfect crescents, but you get a bunch of very small holes and they're not in perfect alignment and they're not perfectly, you know, focused such as it were. Yeah. But the beauty of a pinhole camera is the depth of focus is so large that even if you have a not great one or 20 not great ones, you can still see it. You can do the same thing with a colander. You can hold a colander I saw, up. I saw a lot of those. Yeah, it's the same principle. Like I, I saw a bunch of a bunch of photos of people in like like kitchen yeah. clothing. Yeah, like people like people who work in kitchens at work who like took out their colander and colander, held it up outside and were like, "Oh, cool, nice," and then like went yeah. back to work. <laughs> but like, how cool is that? Yeah, is that like that's, that's delightful? That is all it takes. I saw someone doing it with a Ritz cracker. Because it's got holes in it. Yeah. And that worked? Yeah, you hold that up with a piece of cardboard to to get the distance right. And that works. Mm. Um, So that's why the the leaves work as well. Yeah. Um, Huh. And so it was was really cool. Like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, My favorite part was actually, so the totality was cool. And there were people who had a bunch of the eclipse glasses, and so I got to look at it with the eclipse glasses as well. Uh It was less exciting to me than using my box, like, I feel like that sounds lazy, but like the eclipse is it's super dark glass. It only lets a very small amount of light through. Yeah. Cool. You don't get to see a lot. I mean, like you see, you see the, you see the literal sun. Yeah. You don't see anything else around it, but here's the coolest thing. So at one point the sun was moving behind some cloud cover, Mm -hmm. not a lot of cloud, but a little bit, some wispy clouds in my box. I could see the projection of the clouds and the sun behind them. Oh really? Yeah. Like you see like the wispiness covering uh-huh. the circle. Like it like and once I covered it completely like so I put my head completely up against the hole so no additional light was coming in. Because normally like there's some light coming in just from the side. In fact, there's a hole in the side that I'm viewing through. Right. But so if I put my eye all the way up to it and basically cut out all light except the pinprick, which is how it works best, I could see the projections of the clouds and the sun hmm. all together, because that's how it works. Yeah. And presumably if you like went like hyper controlled. Oh, yeah. And did like a whole like a room sized like pinhole. Like you can get a a decent amount of detail. I mean, you could do that right now in your apartment. Yeah. If you blacked out all of the light sources on your window and everything else, you know, close everything up, put a pinhole in whatever was covering, you know, black sheeting was covering your Mm -hmm. uh, window, you would have a projection on this wall behind you. Yeah. Of what was outside. Mm -hmm. Like that's how it works. Like that doesn't, you don't have an eclipse. To have a camera, a camera obscura. Yeah. Like, like we it's use not, them during eclipses, but it's not necessary. Yeah, because you will blind us. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, it, but it's not necessary to have an eclipse to have a, a yes, camera obscura. Yeah. Um, but it is like the easiest and simplest and coolest way to not go blind. Yes, don't look at event. the sun. Um, I So the eclipse was that Monday, Yeah, which was after I stayed up until like 3 o'clock <laughs> playing games. Big air quotes over that. Yeah. Um, so I called out of work. <laughs> like I was scheduled to go in at eight. Yeah. And like I went to like I went to sleep and I was like, there's I'm, like I set my alarm. Yeah. And I was like, there's no chance. Like, OK, there was a tiny chance I would wake up and be like, huh, I feel fine. And no. then like go to work. And I didn't. So I called out. Yeah. Um. And uh, like I knew the eclipse was happening. So like I wanted like. And I knew like it wasn't totality, so it wasn't going to be that 
amazing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it just the little tiny cutout yeah. in the sun. It still looked cool, but yeah, yeah. like it, it's neat to have experience. It's it. neat. It, again, I think the camera obscura is neater. Yeah. And I didn't like, I didn't build my own or get, or get to do that. And I kind of mm-hmm. wish I did. Cause I can see how much fun it would have been. Yeah. Um, so all I did was, uh, like I, I don't know if my brain was just doing a confirmation bias, but like, I remember be like, I was outside between like 11 and one yeah. or like, and even close to one. And I was like, the sun is just out completely. And it does seem a little bit darker. Like right near 110, it seemed just a hair darker. And yeah. that might be again confirmation bias, but it felt like the sky looks weird. Yeah. And like, of course, like <coughs> you can measure some percentage of how much yeah. darker it was because yeah. like there is just less 64% of the sun, of the sun was blotted yeah. out. Um, but I was like, hmm, things look a little strange. Yeah. Uh, and then I, <coughs> I just took like a real quick peek. Yeah. Yeah. You looked at the sun? A little bit. Like a moron. Just like a, re- like a real quick peek. And I was like, oh, yeah, little wedge. You're a bad person. So <laughs> this is this is the episode when Jesse reveals all his stupid, dangerous yeah. adventurousness. When I was young, I used to think it was fun to look at the sun. I think you've told me this story. And you'd, Have I? And you'd compete with your brother to see you could look at it longer? Yeah. And it, you, like I remember lo- like staring directly at the sun. And thinking it was fun how, like, when you stared at the sun for long enough, eventually your vision developed a black spot yeah. that grew, and it could grow until it was as big as the sun. Yeah. And then it was like you weren't looking at the sun anymore because it was covered by a black spot, and, like, it wasn't bright anymore, so it was fine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. What could go wrong? Oh, man. Nah, my vision's mostly Literally. fine. Literally burning your eyes my vision's mostly fine now man (laughs) and like i know like i know now like how don't look at the sun dangerous it is that's why it was just a just a like real quick it's like corner my eye quarter second Don't look at the sun (laughs) it's like rule one listen if the president can look at the sun (laughs) then i can look at the sun oh that's how it works President has way more power than you. <laughs> There's a lot of things the president can do that you can't do. Mm. Does he have like, is it like some constitutionally endowed power that mm-hmm. gives him the biological ability to look at the sun? Yeah. It's a superpower. I believe it. It only doesn't, doesn't come up very often. Just <laughs> like, you know, once every few years. Um, so most presidents don't get the ex- to exercise it. Yeah. I, I am really interested now that this eclipse is passed and like getting to totality for the next one. Yeah. Um, Which won't be hard for, no. well, well, if you're going to 2024. Yeah. 2024 looks like it goes, I don't know if it's like over Austin. It's real close. But it's very, it like runs up through the middle of Texas. Yeah. Which is like, at the most, it's a small, like little road trip. Yeah. Um, which I will totally do if I'm, if I'm in Austin in mm-hmm. 2024. Uh, but like the stories, like the the pictures and the videos, like don't do it justice. I, I I feel like I think in my mind they don't look real. So like I'm like yeah, that's what an eclipse looks like because that's yeah. what all the pictures of eclipses looks like. Yeah. Um. But the like the words that I see people write about Are very excited their yeah. experience, and the pictures I'm seeing don't match up. Yeah. Like these people are talking about like 
it, it happens and then everyone around them just starts like screaming and crying. It is a life changing experience. And like apparently. people have like religious experiences yeah. and feel like they're like staring into the face of God. Yeah. And then I see this picture and I'm like, yeah, black disc. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sunset on the horizon, like on yeah. all horizons. Like that seems neat. But then the people are like having yeah. major events. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I feel like I should. Try experience that. this yeah. to see what all the hype. I mean, is there's about. people that chase it, like because there's an eclipse at least every, almost every year mm-hmm. somewhere in the world, mm-hmm. and there are people who like go to all of them, mm-hmm. which is yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, there was um, there was a I I guess it, I didn't I had never heard of it, but I guess it's like considered a famous essay that was written after the last um total solar eclipse in america in like hmm. the 70s like 79 or something yeah. like that uh it was just this essay by this woman of her experience um in like washington she yeah. like drove out and like climbed a hill and watched the eclipse and cool like it, it's it's really like strikingly written essay yeah. that's like really conveys the like otherworldliness of it yeah. and stuff but there was th- this one idea that she got across was that like um Watching the like sun disappear and everything go dark was like really cool. But the thing that like really like freaked her and everyone out was you can, if you're at an elevation when Mm -hmm. it happens and you have a really long range of sight, you can watch the shadow. That's pretty crazy. Of the sun. Yeah. Of the moon. And it comes super fast. Like the shadow travels. I think she said it's like, 1800 miles per hour across the surface of the earth yeah and so you see like that's not because that's not how like sunsets happen no right like yeah the it's not a wall of darkness that like speeds yeah through you like but on an eclipse it's like a hard shadow line Mm -hmm. that if you're at like ready for an elevation you watch it just like swoop over like the terrain and then just hit you that's crazy and like, and if you turn around, you can like watch it chase away yeah. and then you're in that total darkness for a couple minutes. Yeah. And that just sounds like such a crazy, experience. like an unearthly yeah. thing. Oh yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I would really, really love to, to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I want to be in Austin in 2024, but, uh, yeah. but it, it run, it'll, it's going to run. It's like, like at least in America, it's, uh, like central Texas and it's kind of going like Northeast. And I mm-hmm. think it ends up like going Northeast enough to like skirt, like one of the edges of Maine by Maybe. the time it's I, going I, up. I, haven't looked at the I think, it, I think it runs up like, like West of the Appalachians. Yeah. kind of that line. Did you watch the, uh, the video I sent you about uh, the math of the eclipses? Probably, but I don't remember. There's a guy standing in front of like a black curtain. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Basically talking about like, I mean, the running joke was, well, it's a little more complicated than that um, yeah, yes, in, yes. in predicting like how eclipses work. Um, but it was really fascinating. And he linked to it. And I sent you the link too, of like that. We can pretty reliably predict these secular, not all eclipses happen on a cycle because it is more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But like that there is a cycle of eclipses that we can predict when this group of them will happen at this certain period. Mm hmm. Um, for thousands of years. Yeah, like yeah, NASA has a five thousand year catalog. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's really cool. And we're in we're in the middle of a, or we're starting like a little mm-hmm. burst. 
yeah. of them. Which is cool. Um, yeah, and that's just really fascinating to me that like that we have the math and we have the science to be able to like figure that out. We certainly do. <laughs> uh, and and then it's out there, like you know, it's on NASA's website. Like the math's there. I can't follow it, but I'm sure the NASA scientists can, and it's you know, yeah, available. I mean, they predicted this one. Yeah, and it came across uh, when they said it would. Mm-hmm. Good job, science. And exactly where they said it would. Yeah. That would be kind of hilarious if, like, something that is presented as, like, this much of a certainty. Yeah. Didn't happen? No, not that, like, it didn't happen, but what if it just, like, went, like, east to west instead of west to east? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what if the sun just changed directions? <laughs> right? Like, what if you just, like, someone flipped an integer from, like, positive <laughs> to negative in a calculation and no one caught it and... And there you go. Right. Or what if it like, what if, or what if it didn't happen? Then everyone was like, Oh shoot. Like it happened at like AM instead of PM. And it was like, it was nighttime when it was happening. Well, it can't happen during the nighttime. Well, the sun, the moon can, right. Well, it would have been on the other, the other hemisphere. Yeah. Like something (laughs) like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It can't happen at night, but that's because the sun is on the opposite side of the planet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because whatever side of the earth is facing the sun (laughs) is always daytime. So if there's a moon between the earth and the sun, it's daytime. (laughs) Yes. For that hemisphere. Yes. (laughs) It's not daytime across the entire planet. That's not how time and sun works. Mm, Oh, I see the the misunderstanding. You think the earth is spherical. Yes. (laughs) That's where we went off. Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually a cone mm. mm-hmm. inverted. So the, the North Pole is at the bottom of the cone. And as you move further south or quote unquote south, you're moving outward on the on the cone to the upper portions of it. Nice. Yeah, sure. Listen, I've only ever been on like a really tiny amount of spots on the earth. So no. I don't know that it's actually spherical. I did see someone. I got I got sucked into flat earth Internet. Briefly, mm-hmm. very briefly, mm-hmm. um, and someone asked like a very basic question of like, wouldn't you be able to see stuff farther away if you were higher up if the Earth was round? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is yes, you do. Like I was like, I've, I <laughs> have you ever been on a mountain, <laughs> like or a skyscraper, like yeah, or you don't have to go that high, like the like sailors. On boats, yeah. if you were in the crow's nest, the reason you were up there was so you could see things farther away mm-hmm. before they came up over the horizon. Yep. Like that's about as basic as you can get. Like in terms of like, I've never had to prove the earth is round because I don't have to. <laughs> but there is live in the 21st very, century. But like there are some very basic experiments you can do that indicate a round earth yeah uh, my grandfather and i did one when we were i was 10 or 13 um based on one done by an ancient egyptian hmm. ancient grecian i think it was greek eratosthenes sounds greek yeah it's greek um he was in, he did it in partnership with a guy from egypt i think uh eratosthenes i was real close when i said that yeah um yeah he measured the earth using two wells, like in the ground. Hmm. And was real close to accurate. How? Uh, so, <laughs> this is 
cool science stuff welcome to cool science stuff with kevin uh so if you are near the equator at noon the sun shines almost entirely directly down the center of a well mm, mm-hmm. right um and so he had two wells and he, had, he worked with another person it was his idea though and measured the angle of the shadow down a well at noon near the equator and one farther away from the equator and the difference in the angle could be used yep. to calculate yeah then you just do a bunch of trigonometry or yeah, whatever yeah the circumference of the earth with and if like if one of them's doing it in Egypt and one of them's doing it in Greece yeah. is that is that like how it works yeah like yeah and that's a much that's a super far distance so mm-hmm. you can get like pretty yeah. accurate yeah yeah pretty good my grandfather and i did the same experiment with sticks in the ground in dallas and oklahoma city or tulsa he was in tulsa we both put a stick in the ground we measured the angle of the sun at the same time yeah and you can do the math he did the math for me because i was 13 <laughs> but, but like you can do the math and figure out the circumference of the earth that's very clever using two sticks that's very clever it's very strange to me that the I've never been near the equator. I haven't really. Like at noon the sun is directly above you. Yeah, typically. Like I've seen photos of this like yeah. when things don't have shadows. Yeah. Right there's like a minute where like there's no like zero shadow. Yeah. Cuz it's for things that overhead. stick straight up yeah. like and it's yeah, that's so it's so strange. Yeah. But and you don't have to be at the equator for the the stick or the well thing to work. Yeah, because it's because it's different between the shadows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that's really clever. And this was when did this person figure this out? Like, uh, three hundred BC. Yeah. Yeah, people were smart. Yeah. Um, it's too bad we're so dumb now. Well, he was in Egypt when he did it. I knew there was in Egypt. Yeah. This is from Wikipedia. Eratosthenes calculated the circumference of the earth without leaving Egypt. He knew that local noon on the summer solstice, yeah, it has to be at the solstice to be more accurate. Yeah. Uh, in Syene, um, the sun was directly overhead. It's at latitude 42 degrees, five minutes north, near the Tropic of Cancer. He knew this because the shadow of someone looking down a well at this time blocked the reflection of the sun. So again, hmm. you, put, you look down on the thing, the sun is directly over your head. You can tell. <laughs> Uh, he measured the sun's angle of elevation at noon on the same day in Alexandria. The method of measurement was to make a scale drawing of that triangle, which included a right angle between the vertical rod and its shadow. So he did use the two sticks, too. Mm. Um, it turned out to be about seven degrees or one fiftieth of the way around a circle. So the difference was mm. that. Um, taking the Earth as spherical and knowing both the distance and direction of Syene, he concluded that the Earth's circumference was 50 times that distance. Um, and it was pretty darn accurate. Um, this is not telling me when he did it, but, uh, he was born in 276 BCE and he died in 194 BCE. All right. So sometime around then. Yeah. Um, and of course, like the earth isn't a perfect sphere. No. Like it's got, it's got some warpiness to yeah. it, but it's like, fatter at the middle. Yeah. But who isn't? <laughs> but for like approximating that in 200 bce like yeah that's a pretty good way to approximate it 
Yeah. So, I mean, because I grew up with like, not just like the earth is round because people tell me it is, but like developing like ideas about how to test the fact that the earth is Mm -hmm. round Mm -hmm. like that. Like I've never understood like even questioning whether the earth was round. Right. Cause like you, you know, it can be figured out. Yeah. And it like, it has been. Yeah. And you, and also we went to space. Like there's these things, but well, but that's not as, that's, that's less convincing to someone who's a flat earther. It's like, oh, those are all fake. Okay, well, here's something you, you it isn't fake. Like you and another flat earther could go do this experiment that I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it holds up. I, but the the level of like scientific thinking that's happening is is so different like for someone who's a flat earther. Like they don't there isn't the like evidence creates conclusions mindset it's what is it (laughs) well it's like a it's the you have a mindset based on emotion and then everything else is and you can only and you can only look at and believe things that support it Mm. so like people believe the earth is flat for emotional reasons and that like that's a reduction it's not like oh like they're they feel sad so they think the earth is round it's like they like they have (laughs) be a weird reason to think the earth like there's there's reasons of like like identity and like community and Mm -hmm. all that stuff for why people think that 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 way and then there's like a pseudo-scientific justification for it yeah where they just like pick things that sound like facts until they have enough of them (laughs) <laughs> to make themselves believe it's kind of okay so like i saw something so god i wish i never i wish instagram had a way to reset this the explore thing on instagram the magnifying glass where yeah. you can just like scroll through the algorithm of things that it thinks you like uh-huh. for me that's mostly like cool bikes yeah that's what i would expect on yours um but like every once in a while that like touches other weird things mm-hmm. and one time it like and sometimes it's like dumb memes. Yeah. And one time I, I block most of the dumb memes. Like I, that's, I will literally go find, I'll go, I'll click in, I'll click to the user and I will block whoever posted the dumb meme. Yeah. Um, um, particularly if it's, if it's an account that just posts dumb memes, mm-hmm. cause I do not want that on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, but like one time somehow one of those things was like a conspiracy theory account. Yeah. And I like, Right, got sucked into it because I was uh, like, "This is fascinating." And now Instagram thinks I'm like so into conspiracy theories. It's your tinfoil hats, and like I wish I could reset that and be like, <laughs> "Hey, let's start over with this no more learning algorithm." Because this, I am not who you think I am. No more. So that, all that to say, around the eclipse time, these flat Earth Instagram accounts are going nuts. Yeah, and one of them, then this one stuck in my head. Someone made a post. And it said something along the lines of the, they're like, if the earth is a sphere and it's rotating mm-hmm. and the sun is moving, ac- the sun moves across the earth yeah. from east to west, right? Like light mm-hmm. moves from east to west. Yeah. They're like, how come the shadow of the moon moved from west to east? Like, how can that make sense? Like, obviously this was all made up and fake and the earth is really flat because those things don't add up. But they they do? Right, they do. <laughs> if you think about it just a little bit more. 
like I'm, I'm raising my hands like yeah. I'm gonna give you a demonstration. You know why the, the shadow moves that way, but like, right? I could use a dinner plate and two fists to demonstrate why that happens. But do you understand? Like, it like it's almost it's fascinating to me how someone whose brain isn't actually interested in thinking about yeah like the me- the mechanics of it can hear those words hear the like hey if you are saying the sun moves from east to west how come the eclipse move from west to east that can't be possible yeah east to west and west to east are different you said they're supposed to be like they have to be the same because yeah. that would be supporting your like so they just go oh of course it's it's fake because they're different but that would i mean so even if the earth was flat I don't understand what the flat earth believes, so I'm going to put that out there. But if the earth is flat and the sun just rotates around it and the moon also rotates around it, like the mechanics are the same during an eclipse. (laughs) The moon goes in front of it and the shadow still moves the same direction. Like it still does the thing. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't become wrong. But even if the earth is flat. Except everyone who thinks the eclipse was real also thinks the earth is round. And everyone who thinks the earth is round is lying. So they're making it up to trick you. So it doesn't matter if the mechanics would be the same if the earth was flat. The fact, the fact that, the fact that, oh, what do they call them? They call them like, they have, there's like a, a pejorative name for people who think the earth is round, like roundies or something, you know, like something stupid. Yeah. Like if, like if roundies think the eclipse is real, it's because they're lying. So the eclipse can't be real. Yeah. I can't. Cause they're already lying about the earth is round. Yeah, so it's I just an addition to the, all I, their no, lies. I, I feel like if I understood these people, I'd be able to do a lot more with my life, <laughs> but uh, I'm struggling. It's a weird world out yeah. there. And the other thing I discovered is that, like, you know, if you think flat Earth conspiracy is like fairly innocent, mm-hmm. like it's better than like the Holocaust wasn't real. Yeah, but it there's a lot of relationship there. Well, there's a lot of the relationship, but I suspect between conspiracy theorists. Like, right. if you believe one, why wouldn't you believe all the others? Yeah, they all kind of just start to mesh together. Yeah. So, like, you'll I'll be scrolling through an Instagram account about. The earth is flat and ancient trees used to be hundreds of miles tall. And Yeah, and Hitler did nothing wrong. And yeah, Hitler wasn't really that bad and like, you know, Jews run the world. Yeah, I feel bad even saying these things, even in just talking about yeah, them. It's Yeah, someone posted a really interesting Twitter thread that I have to respect. Like, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it was a longer thread, but the gist of it was basically... Stop using a swastika in your protest signs, even if there's like a no over it, because you're still making other people, potentially Jewish people, have to deal with looking at a swastika. Hmm. Interesting. And and there are lots of Jewish people saying that. Like, I hate the fact that I am surrounded by swastikas by people who think that they are trying to help me. Um, and I was like, you know what? Uh, that's a fair point I've, I've made zero posters or protest signs yeah. but I, I'm like you know that's something to consider yeah and I mean <laughs> like hey if you say you don't like it like then you don't like it 
So sure. <laughs> like, like I'm not. Yeah. I don't, I well, don't it's, have not any... just, it's not just that they don't like it, but that it is like dredging up like this right. most horrific thing. Right. And like, I wouldn't have thought that or yeah. expected it, but, but... I, don't, I don't have the, the cultural or religious yeah. background to, to have that visceral gut reaction that they do. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a good point. <laughs> I was, um, I was at, a. what's the name of the, like the big bookstore in Austin? Book people. Book people. I was at book people and they had a, like one of the employees was like in the process of setting up a new display. Yeah. And so you had the table and there was a sign hanging above the table and the sign said, Nazis are bad. And then the all the books on the table were, were about, about Nazis being bad. Nazis being bad. Like in, you know, like white supremacy and yeah. alt rightism in general. Yeah. And um in addition to the Nazis are bad words on the sign, it had like a swastika and a Confederate flag mm-hmm. and a Pepe face and yeah. all those things with the like red cross, like mm-hmm. red slash through it. Yeah. And like I like I saw that and I was like, haha, like funny yeah here here's probably some good books yeah and like about nazis like and the, and the sign was supposed to be like funny and like yeah. dumb and like childish mm-hmm. um to be like this shouldn't be difficult <laughs> like this shouldn't be complicated yeah it's very easy to say that nazis are bad like here we just put the words there yeah um but yeah i didn't think about that like i bet like a jewish person can walk in with you know with like history and trauma associated mm-hmm. with the Holocaust specifically, yeah. like can walk into that store and be like, like, I get what you're doing. Like you th- are thinking the right things, but like, I also, yeah, they also don't want to like as, see as, someone, bun- as one of the way to put it, like that symbol is what they scrawl on our homes. Yeah. That's what they use to threaten us. That is yeah. what like, not in the past, but like still, mm, right. That is still a symbol of hatred used against us yeah. constantly. Or even like a table of books with like Hitler's face on the cover. Yeah. Like, it's probably not a great yeah. feeling to look at that. So I thought I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah. Hmm. Still okay to punch a Nazi though. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um the th- this idea, like the this Twitter thread yeah. about swastikas and talking about like believing science are mm-hmm. kind of combined for me because like like with the flat earth thing. Yeah. Like I've never done the math myself Mm -hmm. to prove it. Yeah. Like I don't have, right. Like I don't have the structure in my brain of a, of like evidence leading to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that like for myself, yeah, that gives me a solid foundation to Mm -hmm. believe it. Um, and that goes for almost every scientific idea. Yeah. There's very little that I, my car works because it does. Yeah. Like, I've learned some math and some science yeah. like from like base principles mm-hmm. that I could support in my brain down to like axioms. Yeah. But most of it I haven't. Yeah. So most of the things that I know to be true, I mm-hmm. know because like because I trust the people mm-hmm. who say them. Yeah, you have to. Right? Like even you, like yeah. you're telling me you did the math and figured out that the earth was flat, like you could be lying to I could me. Be lying as to some you. part of like grand conspiracy. Yeah, I figured out the Earth was round. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you're not, mm-hmm. and neither are. 
and because of like Occam's razor, yeah. neither is like the entire apparatus of science and yes. government. Yeah. Cause that's, that's true. Not possible. Yeah. Um, and like, so there's a similar thing with like someone like on Twitter, a Jewish person mm. saying, Hey, don't like put swastikas in your protest signs. Even if the idea is good Yeah, because it does horrible things to our minds. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I don't have the knowledge and experience to understand that myself, but like, you're the person to be trusted when about those things. Yeah. yeah. So like, okay, I'll believe you. Yeah. Just as like the person who went to MIT and is like a, mm-hmm. like astrophysicist, they're the person to trust about those things. Yeah. So like, I'll believe them. And like, I like there's, that seems to be like a fundamental difference between how my brain works and how like a conspiracy theorist brain works. Whereas like I'm very ready and willing to Mm -hmm. just like trust the right kind of person about the right kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's valid. Well, that's all we can do. Like we can't like, I'm not going to (laughs) go figure it all out for myself. Can't do that. There's like one thing I can probably figure out for myself in my life. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should read. um, I know you're going to read new Tolkien books, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a chance and you want a really long book to read, uh, I really recommend Anathem by Neil Stevenson. I've heard of it. Um, I don't love all of Stevenson's work. I'm, I'm hit or miss with his stuff, but I really enjoyed Anathem, but it kind of gets into this like, um, idea of like proving everything mm-hmm. in that the book takes place on, a different world. It's not earth. It's a different place. Sure. Sure. Um, but it's really about like this society, um, that there, there are these convents for lack of a better term. Um, but they're math convents instead of like religious convents. Nice. Uh, and all of the people in them live sequestered from the rest of the world and they do it on one of four different timetables. So you can be sequestered for a year, for 10 years, for a hundred years, or for a thousand years. Um, and of course, every 10 years, every year, the door opens to that portion of the convent. And mm-hmm. so those people can go out and interact and people can come into the convent and see how things are going. Um, and the door closes. Uh, and every 10 years, the 10 year portion opens along with the one year portion that also opens that year. And they come out and they, you can talk to each other um, and you can see what's going on in the world and you can also like do it. But the rest of the time you are cloistered studying math and science Mm -hmm. and really from like first principles and like trying to understand like these deep complex things Mm -hmm. when you've got, you know, a garden and some books and a a chalkboard. Um, Same thing for the hundred year and the thousand year portion. Um, and so there are people who every hundred years, this door opens and some people come out and hmm. interact with each other. And some people come in, uh, and every thousand years, there's a bunch of these different convents and only, I think three of them have only ever been unviolated, which is to say that they've lasted more than a thousand years. Mm. Um, so, but for those three, like nobody's come out of that door for a thousand years. Yeah. We don't know what's going on there. Right. Like, but like at the end of that thousand years, like they'll come out with something. Yeah. Right. Like, like something's <laughs> coming out. Yeah. 
Um, but the idea is to sort of keep from getting distracted by politics and society and all that other stuff and just being able to do like pure math and science yeah. and research in this sort of space. Hmm. Um, and the, a large portion of the book is like one guy from the 10 year convent, like just living his life and like doing things and learning about the universe. Hmm. Um, and, and Stevenson books can get like that. It's like, I'm not going to worry about plot. I'm just going to teach you stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's spend a long time learning about this. That's why his books are like Thousands very, very long. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, but I really did like Anathem. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And is it, are these people like living forever? Like how? Um, no, but they live more than a thousand years. You don't know that. Hmm. Okay. Nobody's been inside a thousand year convent <laughs> for a long time. Um, so we don't know. We don't know what's going on in there. That's a, it's an attractive idea. Yeah. The one of like, you can focus on like the pure mm-hmm. math and science and not be affected by yeah the, soft stuff mm-hmm. in the world but like i like there's probably very very few things where that's actually possible yeah well the idea um of the novel came from something called the long now project um, is. which is it's there's a lot going on with it but one of the things they're trying to do is convince the world to think in terms of epochs rather than months and years and mm-hmm. weeks. Um, and one of the ways they've done that is by creating a thousand year clock. So a clock that measures 1000 years mm-hmm. rather than 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is in, of these sort of convents is to think is to not, not get distracted by things, but to not, have to worry about these quick changes yeah. of things yeah. and being able to say, okay, I've got a hundred years in here. What am I going to do? Yeah. How do I interact with that? How do I deal with that? Hmm. And, and sort of increase that, that longevity mindset. So this is a minor spoiler, um, but the main character ends up interacting with somebody from, so he's a 10 year, he begins interacting with somebody from a later, from a longer portion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's been in a con- been in their convent for a long time. Sure. Because the door doesn't open, but every, you know, while. Um, and they lose, like, a piece of technology or something that they needed to be able to do it. And I'm going to say it was a map, but it wasn't a map. It was more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, oh, no, we're in trouble. Like, we don't have this thing. And he's like, well, we can just rebuild one from first principles. <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got a, I, we can get a protractor and a ruler and we got the sun so we can figure out angles and stuff. <laughs> he's like, that would take like years. He's like, yeah. We've got a thousand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the sort of ideas, it, but that's the sort of mindset of being right. able to think on those long-term scales yeah. rather than these very short-term. That that sounds like the football thing. Yeah, it, it is. It is yeah. related in certain ways of being yeah. able to think super long term. Yeah, like oh, you know, if you've got all the time in the world, like what's five hundred years of just walking around looking at this one yeah. little thing? Yeah. Oh, gosh. 
Um, but the my my point that I I was trying to make about it though was like, if you think about what was science, what was math and science one thousand years ago from now? Yeah, right. So like eleven or you know ten to eleven hundred mm-hmm. A.D. If someone hold themselves up at 1000 AD mm-hmm. to start like doing some pure math and science, like there's still like biases. Sure. There's still bias involved yeah. that are coming out of whatever the like, you know, social and mental conditions of their world at that time. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a really long time to yeah maybe get, down like to let your biases fester and that's true and without course correction yeah you know what i mean so well, like that's, and that's why it's i mean i think part of why it's presented is sort of like this learning environment where you're challenging each other and you're you're yeah. encouraged to that, do that challenging um, but again we don't see into the hundred year or thousand years so i don't know right. what ha- like that's just in the 10 year i don't know what's happening in those other ones yeah but it's yeah, but like someone like someone could come out of a thousand year little science stint yeah today mm-hmm. and be like i have amazing discoveries yeah. and you know i understand how the universe works and but then they'd come out and we'd be like oh no we like realized that that wasn't correct like a hundred years after yeah. you went in yeah like sorry you like you were just on the wrong track well the you idea had one is you know they'd have a thousand years to test it yeah yeah if it's not testable is it science and what if you just start, what if your thousand years is up and then you start time looping and you have to keep doing it over and over again? <laughs> I feel like if I had a thousand year time loop that I was running on, I'd be okay. <laughs> I'd make it work. But the first time you do it. It'd be rough. <laughs> It'd be really rough. Oh, another time loop thing you should engage with. Um, I may have recommended this to you before. Uh, the first 15 lives of Harry August. Mm, sorry, I only engage with brands hashtag the first 15 lines of Harry, <laughs> lives of Harry August. There you go. Uh, it's a novel by Claire North, who is quickly becoming my favorite author. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not her real name. She's also writing pseudonymously. Is it really J.K. Rowling? No. Uh, her real name is Catherine Webb. And she has two different pseudonyms that she also writes under. She writes under three different names. One of which is Claire North. And we, I haven't read anything by Catherine Webb, but everything I've read by Claire North has been amazing. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, but the first 15 lives of Harry August is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, so this guy named Harry August, um, born at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, grows up and, you know, sees lots of cool stuff happen, a lot of political turmoil, Fights in World War Two, uh, lives, you know, gets old, dies of cancer, and then he wakes up, more or less at his birth. Hmm. Uh, so the first couple of years are foggy, but when he hits like seven or even like four or five, he starts to remember the entirety of his previous life. Oh God. <laughs> Again, living through the 20th century, like early 20th century. Uh-huh. Um, like the first time, like the first time he wakes up and goes, oh, again, everyone thinks he's crazy. He thinks he's crazy. They put him in a mental asylum and he kills himself. And then he. Third time. Wakes up again. He wakes up. Hmm. Son of the same parents. 
Like same start conditions every uh-huh. time. And it, the, it's called the first 15 uh-huh. lives. The, the first 15 lives. Yeah. It's real good. I never considered that before with with time looping of uh, time looping back to your birth. Yeah. Because like in Groundhog Day. It's a day. It's a day. And you're time looping back to a time when you have all of your mental and physical abilities mm-hmm. just as they were. Yeah. But like if you time loop back to your birth, you're right. You you don't like know how to walk and talk immediately. Nope. Like you're pretty helpless for a while. Yep. Before you get to do anything yep. about it. And again, in in the context of it, like his first couple of years of life are typically unaware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But he eventually gains his memory back. That would um, that would make for some rough childhoods. It does. Um, it's revealed fairly early on in the book that he's not the only one. Ooh. Um, because at towards the end of I think it's his eleventh life. This happens at the very beginning of the book. It's sort of a prologue. Towards the end of his eleventh life, he's in a hospital at his deathbed, and a young girl comes in and says. Harry August, I've got a message from the future. It's disappearing. Hmm. And basically it's someone who's, they're on a loop. They're living their life over and over again, but theirs starts in 1970. Hmm. Um, and, and catches up to them. Well, so a little bit, and there's other people for them. There's someone yeah. born in 2025 who's living this over and over again and they can overlap the person in 1970 yeah and you can actually send messages back through time that takes a while it does <laughs> you gotta think long term wow that sounds really cool it's a really good book i need to go i'm too many things on my list. Yeah. Too many things on my list. There's a lot of great things. I'm full of recommendations. I want to go on like a stint of like weird, fun time travel stories. Yeah. It's, is like Groundhog Day is great. It might be the best time loop story I've ever read or encountered. Hmm. You should do a yearly podcast about it on the same day every year. I have to do it once every lifetime. Once, yeah, once every lifetime. <laughs> Thank you.